Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Kathy Manning. Nice to see you. Can we start off, can you just say your name, your title, and a little bit about your district? I am Kathy Manning. I'm the Democratic nominee for the 6th Congressional District of North Carolina. The district is all of Guilford County, which includes all of Greensboro, which used to be the textile manufacturing capital of the world, all of High Point, which used to be the furniture manufacturing capital of the world, and the town of Winston-Salem, which is in Forsyth County, and of course the surrounding areas in Guilford County. Today on Women Belong in the House, we're heading back to where it all began. We're rounding out our 2020 road trip in my home state, the best state, North Carolina. While it feels sort of poetic to end the season in North Carolina, it's also quite appropriate. Yes, it's where I'm from, and yes, my mom is currently running for office here. But it's also one of the most hotly contested swing states in the country. There are competitive races at every level, from president to state legislature and beyond. Bill Stepien, the president's campaign manager, has outlined what he believes is the scenario for victory for Donald Trump. They need the following scenarios to kick in. Scenario one would be winning Arizona, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. Scenario two would be winning Arizona, North Carolina, Michigan. And scenario three would be North Carolina, Michigan, Nevada. There is one state that is in all three of their scenarios, and that is the state of North Carolina. For most of my childhood, North Carolina felt like, and was, a solidly red state. That is, a solidly red presidential state. The state has more often gone blue for governor. Senate and local races are continually a mixed bag. But the Republican presidential candidate has won North Carolina in 10 of the past 12 presidential elections. No Republican has won the presidency without the support of the Tar Heel state since 1956. North Carolina voters did help to elect Barack Obama in 2008. It was the first time a Democrat carried the state for president since Jimmy Carter in 1976. But the shift didn't exactly last. Just two years later, in the 2010 midterms, voters ushered in a new wave of Republican state legislators who helped make the state inhospitable to Democratic politicians. Here's Tory Taylor, who you may recognize from the past couple of episodes. Tori is the co-executive director of Swing Left. She's also a North Carolinian and has seen all this go down firsthand. I think that North Carolina has seen a very turbulent decade. After Republicans took control statewide in 2010, after the 2010 elections, they took control of state government. Uh, we really saw kind of this red wave take over North Carolina around that time. And subsequently, 
you know, a lot of very extreme right wing issues coming into the legislative process, getting signed into law, a very Republican extreme governor. But at the same time, we also saw a huge rise of progressive activism in North Carolina, a lot of organizing done on the ground through things like the Moral Monday movement, through activism around women's reproductive rights, um, LGBTQ activism around HB2, which was the, the bathroom bill in 2016. So, you know, we've seen these two parallel tracks of very extreme right wing policies being jammed through the state through the Republican legislature. And then we've also seen the rise of the resistance on the left. And I think that these two parallel tracks are meeting in 2020. I think we've all been building, um, especially the Democratic side, have been building towards this moment of 2020 where we have an opportunity to really take back the majority in the state legislature. And this is a critical year to do so to ensure that there are fair maps during the next round of redistricting. Gerrymandering has been a huge problem in North Carolina over the last 10 years. And we've seen countless judicial fights around you know, what those state legislative and congressional lines have looked like. We have an opportunity to take back the US Senate race, which could be very pivotal toward taking back the majority in the United States Senate for Democrats, reelecting Governor Cooper, also winning the state's electoral votes for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. North Carolina's electoral history is pretty fascinating. In some ways, it's part of a conservative Southern bloc. In others, it's had more of a mind of its own. Like in many other swing states, the cities have gotten bluer and rural areas have gotten redder. Just because I am personally from North Carolina and is my personal favorite swing state, I think it's actually like can be argued as the number one swing state in the country because there's so much going on and because it has been such a historically purple state. Um, and I'm really excited to see kind of these two parallel tracks of, you know, this progressive activism and resistance that has been building in the state since 2010 really kind of come to a head, you know, with this Republican um, stronghold that we've had in the state legislature. We'll see what happens, but I think if there's any year for Democrats to fully check all the boxes that we've been working towards for the past 10 years, it's 2020. You know, I think that we've seen a lot of incredible progress from Democrats in the last couple elections in particular, um, you know, in 2017, and 2018, 2019, We've seen incremental progress around winning in municipal races. We elected Governor Cooper in 2016, despite losing the state for Hillary Clinton in 2016 during that presidential race. You know, in 2018, while we did not win the um, competitive congressional races when national attention was focused on the House, there was a ton of progress made in um, the state in terms of getting out Democratic voters. There was a historic turnout in some of these counties. And the reason that those candidates for Congress did not win in 2018 was because of gerrymandering. In 2018, Republicans very narrowly won the popular vote statewide, 50% to 48%. But Republicans won 10 of North Carolina's 13 seats in the House of Representatives. I think we've really seen kind of the outcomes to that progressive activism and that progress, those progressive building blocks start to actualize in the past few elections. And I think in 2020, um, North Carolina is ground zero for all levels of the ballot. Um, it's one of 
the best opportunities to flip a state legislative chamber because we've kind of started chipping away at the Republican majority. We broke the supermajority in 2018. Now it's our opportunity to break the majority. You know, we're seeing big opportunities in the Senate with the North Carolina Senate race. Um, there are several House pickup opportunities in the state. And so, you know, there's really everything going on. I started this show and Wonder Media Network generally because I was inspired by the leap my mom took when she decided to run for Congress as part of the 2018 blue wave. At the time, she was running in a red district, but due to the strength of her campaign, she was able to make it a toss-up race. Still, she lost. I remember the moment we found out. We were at a big election night party, back when parties were a thing, at the Greensboro Coliseum. Our family was in a back room waiting for the election results to come in. And then they did. It was shocking, devastating, and inspiring. Standing behind my mom as she gave the most gracious concession speech imaginable, I was in awe of what she'd built. Looking out at the crowd, it was clear that she had done something extraordinary. She may not have won that race, but she helped many down-ballot candidates win. She energized a huge community of volunteers, and she proved that it was possible to move the needle, even in a district specifically designed against that movement. She also showed me, and all of us, what it looks like to lose with grace. On a night full of so many victories for women and Democrats generally running for the House, North Carolina's results told a different story. The star character? Gerrymandering. In an extremely purple state, with more registered Democrats than Republicans, there are currently 10 Republicans and 3 Democrats representing North Carolina in the U.S. House of Representatives. Here's Tori Taylor again. In addition to her other titles, Tori was also my mom's campaign manager in 2018. You know, what we saw in 2018, um, we were fighting in very gerrymandered districts. Um, and, you know, what we've seen between 2018 and 2020 is there was um, a lawsuit to actually change some of those congressional lines and we were successful. Um, and so we had several districts that, um, you know, were historically very like surgical precision to favor Republicans and to, to dilute the voices of Democratic voters and voters of color. Um, you know, a there was a judge mandate to change those lines. And so we saw fairer districts um, that we were going to be able to run in in 2020. And funny enough, when we draw fair lines, <laughs> the fundamentals of these races shift pretty substantially. So, for example, the, you know, the race that you are also personally familiar with, Kathy Manning, um, in 2018, we were running in, you know, an R plus eight district um, in the central part of the state, Greensboro and kind of the triad area. It was drawn to protect Republican power. And, you know, we what Democrats have had to do, not only in North Carolina, but across the country is we have had to continue to fight in these races. We've had to continue to fight in very gerrymandered districts to run, you know, very aggressive campaigns that require a lot of resources, um, both in terms of time, money, and volunteers to have a competitive edge in these gerrymandered districts because they are systematically already rigged against us. We're already down by seven <laughs> as soon as we start. We've seen some of those races be successful, 
you know, even in a lot of the races that we won in 2018 across the country, they were also run in very gerrymandered districts. But in North Carolina, you know, the gerrymandering, the hill was too high for us to climb in 2018. And not just in the race that we're talking about with Kathy Manning, but also the Dan McCready race in North Carolina 9. North Carolina 2 with Linda Coleman was also a competitive race. Um, the hill was just a little too hard for these Democratic candidates to climb. The gerrymandering was too extensive. And so now when we see a more equitable map in 2020, Democrats are going to likely pick up two House seats, both in Kathy Manning's district, which is the Greensboro area, um, which was redrawn, and then also North Carolina 2, which is a, a triangle area district. And so um, I think that is one one of the biggest changes. Overcoming this level of partisan gerrymandering was just too tall an order. Until the maps changed, it seemed unlikely that my mom would run again. Here she is. It took me a long time to decide to run in 2018 because I had never run for anything before. And it was a very tough Republican district but I was so distressed about what was going on in the country, both with President Trump and with the Republicans who were enabling him, that I decided I needed to be part of the solution. I did not think I would run again after I lost because I had put everything into that race. We had, we made it a toss up. I really thought I was gonna win and we were surprised on election night that we didn't win. I would not have run again in that same district because I think it was just gerrymandered against any Democrat winning. But the district changed. The North Carolina Supreme Court determined that the state's districts were illegal. The Republicans were found guilty of using the maps to dilute not just the power of Democrats, but the power of Black voters specifically. Partisan gerrymandering remains legal, but gerrymandering that discriminates on the basis of race is illegal. Following the court's decision, the North Carolina congressional map was redrawn. Rewinding for a second to when you found out that North Carolina was redistricted, that this district was going to be redistricted, how did it feel when you heard about that, when you heard that decision? I was shocked because I didn't think it would happen so quickly, and I didn't think I would have to make a decision about whether to run again at that particular moment in time. I thought it'd be a couple years off. So in November of 2019, Kathy Manning had a tough choice to make. Should she run again? And I thought about the fact that I had really enjoyed running last time, much to my surprise. I cared deeply about the people in this district, and the things in Washington had gotten even worse. The president was much more out of control, and the Republicans were coddling him and refusing to stand up for anything that I thought was really important to the American people. And I decided if I was going to run, I needed to jump in quickly to let other people know that I was going to take on this challenge again and discussed it with my family. And we decided that I should jump in and hopefully finish what we started off in 2018. So much about this race looks different than in 2018. We'll start with the district itself, what's now North Carolina District 6, after the break. I want to tell you about an awesome platform called Bonfire that we've been using at Wonder Media Network. 
bonfire.com is the easiest way to design, sell, and order premium shirts, all virtually and risk-free with no out-of-pocket costs. On bonfire.com, you can upload a design or use their templates to promote a fundraiser to your community. They'll take care of printing and shipping the finished product to your buyers. I worked with the Bonfire team to create a Women Belong in the House t-shirt for all of you to campaign in and rock this election season, and I've truly been living in it ever since. Their fundraising feature lets you accept additional donations on top of shirt sales, and you can even send all proceeds directly to your favorite nonprofit. If you're a political campaign, Bonfire is also compliant with all campaign finance laws and can give you additional insight into your supporters, making fundraising nice and hassle-free. Bonfire is trusted by the Women's March, California Women's List, Rock the Vote, and Wonder Media Network. You can check out the Women Belong in the House shirt we designed at wondermedianetwork.com bonfire. Make sure to tag me on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan or Wonder Media Network on Instagram at WMN.media and any pictures of you rocking your Women Belong in the House t-shirt. And sign up for Bonfire's awesome platform to use your own platform for good at wondermedianetwork.com bonfire. My mom, Kathy Manning, is now running in a totally different district. So the area that is now the 6th Congressional District has a majority of Democratic voters. It's three urban areas and the surrounding areas that have a lot in common in that we've had loss of major industry over the last 25 years. We have school systems that desperately need investment. Years ago, when Governor Jim Hunt was the governor of North Carolina, he was known as the education governor. He really invested in education in North Carolina. And under Governor Hunt, our teacher salaries uh, rose to where they should have been or close to where they should have been. We invested in early childhood education, and North Carolina was known as the progressive southern state. In the last 15 years, maybe maybe less, we have seen the Republican-led North Carolina General Assembly cut back on the investment in schools, in education in general. We've, we've lost teachers. We've lost superintendents. We have not kept up the, the regular maintenance of our schools. And just last year, there was an evaluation done by an outside company of what what would it cost to bring our Guilford County schools up to the level that they ought to be, the, the, the school buildings, the facilities. And the determination was it would take $2 billion to bring the Guilford County schools up to where they should be. That is a mind-boggling amount of money. And what it says is we have not been doing the regular maintenance or upkeep that we should have been doing. The biggest difference is I know this district. I've lived here for 34 years, and I have traveled throughout this district, lived in this district. I know I know Greensboro, High Point, Winston-Salem, and the surrounding areas. When I ran in 2018, it gave me the opportunity to get to know surrounding rural counties that I did not know well. And I certainly enjoyed getting to know those counties. But this time, I know the district. So I don't have to do as much background figuring out what, what goes on in this area. I already know it. The new 6th District makes a lot of sense to those of us who grew up here. Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point are typically grouped together, 
making up what's called the Piedmont Triad. In 2018, the district that my mom ran in was rated a likely Republican race by the Cook Political Report. In 2020, North Carolina's 6th district is rated a likely Democratic district. Another way to look at it is the old district voted for Trump in 2016, but Hillary Clinton won the new district in 2016 by 21 points. Here's Tori Taylor again. I, I've got to say, it feels, it feels good to have a chance like this in 2020. You know, I think that, you know, folks who are from traditionally red areas that have been struggling with gerrymandered districts for a long time, um, I think that they're, it's easy to lose hope. <laughs> it's easy to, um, you know, really get down with kind of the cards that you've been dealt. And, you know, I operate from a perspective that we have to always fight. <laughs> we have to never see ground, even when the lines are drawn against us and the hill is very high, um, because we might not win that election, but we can create momentum, we can create infrastructure, we can create the beginnings of the building blocks to win the next time. And so when I look at 2020 this year in North Carolina, um, you know, it was tough to lose that congressional race in 2018. And, you know, I, w I went into that race knowing that it was a very uphill battle and it was a very gerrymandered seat. But I think, you know, looking at 2020 now and seeing some of the progress that we were able to start in 2018 be met with, um, you know, the legal mandate to provide fair maps and fair districts to the people of that state and to see you know, some of those candidates, you know, particularly, you know, your mom, Kathy Manning, who I worked for, um, you know, be able to finish that fight. We didn't get across the hill the first time, but we will get across the hill the second time. And, um, you know, I think that's a testament and I think, you know, is a good roadmap for a lot of Democrats and a lot of people who are in some of these harder states that, you know, might not win the election the first time or might continue to have uphill battles. Um, I think it's just a testament to how we have to main hope, maintain hope. We have to maintain optimism and we have to keep fighting. You know, we have to think about some of these hard areas and these hard fights as a multi-cycle, multi-year process. Look at a state like Georgia, a state like Texas. Um, you know, they have been fighting uphill battles for decades, and we're seeing turning points in some of these races or some of these states. Um, and those turning points are built on the work that happened before. And they're built on the work that candidates, that activists, that volunteers, that donors had put into those places before. Um, and now we're at this moment where North Carolina is at a tipping point, um, not only for one race, but many races um, and many really key um, moments like flipping the legislature would be a huge, huge victory and really um, mean that we could turn the tide and really point to a more progressive vision of the state that really puts front and center a lot of the values and the ideals that North Carolinians across the, the state hold very dear. Um, and that's really exciting, but none of that would be possible. This turning point wouldn't be possible without all the work that has been done over the last 10 years to put together the building blocks to get us here. So the district itself is different. 
Another major difference that we've been talking about all season is the fact that it's a presidential election year. In 2018, my mom was the top name on the ballot. This time around, that's definitely not the case. North Carolina has contentious 2020 races for president, Senate, and governor. That has a lot of different effects on a race. For one, it's made it much more difficult to raise money. Here's my mom again. From a personal standpoint, it's made it much more difficult to fundraise. I'm gonna be very blunt about it. When I ran in 18 and people were so excited about the opportunity to flip the House of Representatives, as long as I called people, it was it was relatively easy to raise the money I needed for my campaign. This time around, with the House already in Democratic control, it was much harder to convince people to invest in my race. But also, people were much more concerned about flipping the Senate and flipping the White House. But that's just the fundraising part of it. What's much more important is that we do have these critically important opportunities to take back the White House and to flip the Senate. And it's been great to be part of that larger movement. And I've spent a lot of time since I won the primary doing events with other candidates because I wanted, I, I still have lots of enthusiastic volunteers and supporters and the people who were with me last time are still with me this time. And I wanted to make sure that those great people were also involved in the other important races across the state, the Senate race, the uh, the presidential race, of course, but also we've got some great judges. Our chief justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court is running to be reelected. She's the first African-American woman to be chief justice of our Supreme Court. Two other great justices are up for reelection and we want them uh, to win their seats. We've got justice, great people running in the Court of Appeals. We've also got the opportunity to flip the North Carolina Senate and the North Carolina House. Those races are critically important because we have a wonderful Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, who is working so hard to do the right things for the state, but he's been stymied by the Republican General Assembly. And if we can flip both houses of the General Assembly, Roy Cooper can accomplish so much more for the state. Fundraising has also been impacted by being in a so-called safe district. I've had a lot of wonderful people say, well, you don't really need my money, do you? Because you're in a safe district. And what people don't realize is how expensive it is to run a race. It's a real problem with our system. And there is some great legislation, HR1, that passed this last the current Congress, but couldn't make it off of Mitch McConnell's desk, is a bill for campaign finance reform. And we need campaign finance reform. Yeah, a lot of people just didn't think I needed the money. And you still have to have a campaign team. You still have to get your message out there. And and whether you're on TV or on radio or sending out mail or hiring people to help your campaign in all the different ways, it still costs a lot of money to, to run a race. It's expensive to run for Congress, no matter where you're running. And especially after what happened in 2018, the race definitely doesn't feel safe. I always laugh to myself when somebody refers to this as a safe district or a safe seat, because I've gone through the experience of losing an election 
and I thought I was going to win that one. So I don't think of this as a safe seat, and I am fighting it as though I had to come from behind, and I won't believe it's a safe seat until it's called for me on CNN or whoever it is that's calling congressional races that night. So I, I am running this race as though I have to do everything I can to win. The other thing that I have been working to do, I mentioned that I'm doing events with lots of other candidates because I want I want my supporters to be able to help those candidates across the finish line. But we're all working together to make sure we get enough Democrats out to to, to help Joe Biden win North Carolina. We know if he wins North Carolina, he will be our next president. And so we have people working all across this district to get voters out. We, we're we working with the coordinated cam campaign to get people out to vote, but we also are having our own phone banks. We're contacting, I think, I think our volunteers have contacted 50,000 voters already. And we've got another week of early voting to go. And then of course, election day. So we're doing everything we can to make sure that we are electing Democrats up and down the ballot. Early voting in North Carolina started on October 15th. As of Monday, October 26th, more than 3 million voters had cast their ballots, either through early voting or by mail, according to the North Carolina State Board of Elections. That's already a 43% voter turnout. Early voting closes in North Carolina on October 31st. As of Monday the 26th, Biden is slightly favored to win the state, according to 538. It's extremely close. We've talked a lot this season about how the top of the ballot affects people running for more local positions. But momentum runs the other way, too. Here's Ashanti Golar. Ashanti is the president of Emerge America and the host of another Wonder Media Network podcast, The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. Something that we have seen particularly at Emerge post-2016 is most people are more excited about their members of Congress and the down-ballot races than they may necessarily be about the candidates for president. So people are actually going to be coming out to vote for their members of Congress, their city council person, their mayor, and that's actually going to uplift the top of the ticket. So I'm excited about that because we know there are so many phenomenal women who are running for this seat. So I think that's something that's going to be different for 2020. But we do know, particularly with women, there is going to be more momentum on the Democratic side because there is a woman on the ticket with Senator Kamala Harris. And their outreach to women has been phenomenal from where I'm sitting. As we've heard from candidates across the country, Momentum and enthusiasm has to be organized and encouraged through much different means than in previous elections. COVID-19 has totally changed the way campaigning works, particularly for the Democrats. Here's Kathy again. It's like two different worlds. Before the primary, our primary was March 3rd. Before the primary, I was out all over the district meeting people in person at churches, at public events, at gatherings that people would have for me to meet others. We had events all over the district and I had a very tough primary because it is now a democratic leaning district. There were lots of Democrats who decided to jump into the race. So it was tough. And the primary, as I said, was March 3rd. And that was just the very beginning of a reckoning 
of how bad this pandemic was going to be. The week after the primary is when everything started shutting down. So March, April, May, I did everything by phone or by Zoom. And it was much harder. Most of, most of the time I spent in March was calling people to check on them and find out how they were doing, whether it was other elected officials, government leaders, people I had met across the, the campaign. And I spent most of my time calling people on the phone to check on them. And the amazing thing was everybody answered their phone because everybody was home. And not only did they answer their phone, they wanted to talk. We had great conversations because people didn't have much else going on and they wanted to talk about what they were experiencing. We really didn't start getting out much until very recently. And that was only to outdoor events where people were wearing masks and where there was clear social distancing. We did get out right when the protests started and there were there were rallies in Greensboro, there were rallies in Winston-Salem, and I went to several of them, but we were, we were cautious. We wanted to make sure we were going places where everybody had on masks and everybody was social distancing. And, and they were, and, and those, were, those were great events to attend. Something that isn't wholly different from 2018, the issues. In 2018, we heard a lot about healthcare, this year, the issues my mom is talking about most on the campaign trail are the same issues she talked about in 2018, healthcare, education, and jobs. The issues I talk about are exactly the same because I think the same issues are of importance whether people live in urban areas or the surrounding rural areas, even the rural counties. The issues that people are concerned about are the everyday things that impact their lives. Healthcare continues to be the number one issue that keeps that people worry about. And it it's been amplified by this pandemic. Particularly as people have lost jobs, that means they've lost their health care. So at a time when people are desperately worried about needing health care because of this pandemic and the fear of contracting uh, COVID-19, they're they're losing their health care. So healthcare continues to be the number one issue. Jobs Good jobs, jobs that pay a prevailing wage, continues to be a huge issue. In fact, it's an even bigger issue because we're seeing businesses shut down. And a lot of the businesses that we're seeing shut down are restaurants, local restaurants, and some breweries, and the small businesses that are really the lifeblood of this area. And then, of course, education. We have seen during this pandemic, as our schools have been shut down and kids are having to learn online, we've seen the disparities that have become much more obvious between the kids who are in, in low income areas and higher wealth areas. Because kids who don't have access to the internet can't learn online. And we have areas where the, there is internet available, but the parents can't afford to pay for it. We have other areas in our more rural areas where there's not access to broadband. So two different parts of the same problem, these kids are having trouble learning online. In North Carolina's 6th District and across the country, the pandemic highlighted the biggest issues we face. 
While many of the challenges we face come from the same underlying problems, the pandemic has put a new kind of urgency, a new kind of strain on the system. Yeah, everybody's focused on the pandemic and the economic impact. And when the president tries to take the attention off the pandemic, when he stands up there and says, I built the greatest economy ever known to mankind, you just have to shake your head and say he has no idea what people are going through. Because every single day you wake up and everything you do that day is impacted by the fact that we are in a global pandemic and we cannot go about our normal lives. And until we get a president who is willing to put together a national plan to stop the spread of this virus, we are never going to be able to rebuild our economy. When the president stands in front of the American people and says, we can't let the virus control us, we, we're learning to live with it. Sure, if you're the president of the United States and you get helicoptered to one of the best medical facilities in the country and you get every possible medication, including medications that aren't even approved for use, and you recover, for you to think that that's how other people are going to be treated shows that you are out of touch with the American people. We are living in an extraordinary time. Through the virtual road trip that we've taken over the past two months, west from Pennsylvania to Arizona, back east to Florida, and then north to North Carolina, we've painted a picture of what's happening in 2020. We sought the story of this election, and what we got is a country facing existential questions. Amid the pandemic, we're forced to reconcile with systemic racism, health and education inequity, and economic turmoil. The circumstances feel really dire. And yet, once again, speaking with women across the country who've stepped up to take the lead, I feel really, genuinely hopeful. It might take longer than we expect, but we're moving in the right direction. Still, it's not gonna be easy. I worry about how we're gonna bring the country back together. And it's a question that I've gotten from people from time to time. And I think it's the hardest question to answer because we have become so bitterly divided. It's going to take an enormous amount of work for us to start thinking about ourselves as one unified country. We've got to stop talking about red states and blue states because we are all in this same incredible experiment of democracy together and we are going to have to repair the the breakdown that we have and it's going to take a really extraordinary leader i have to say that i think there's no one better to represent us i'm very proud of you jenny kaplan clearly the one thing you inherited from me is the ability to be very emotional about important things. <laughs> Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Liz Smith and executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Edie Allard and Louisa Garbowit. 
Original theme music by Miles Moran. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Okay. Anything else? Women belong in the House and the Senate mm-hmm. and the White House. Mm-hmm. Okay, mom, well, I'm going to press stop. I've got the best mom in the whole <laughs> world. Before we go, we need to talk. The 2020 election is here, and we want to make sure every eligible voter has the information they need to register to vote and to cast a ballot. We are teaming up with Rock the Vote to help you register and to make sure you have the resources you need. Don't wait until the last minute. Check out Rock the Vote's resources now to make sure you're ready and signed up to get any election-related updates at rockthevote.org. Your voice is powerful. Did you know that you're the biggest influencer of your friends and family? It's true. So take the time to talk with them about the importance of making sure their voter registration is up to date and share these resources with them. Go to rockthevote.org for more. Together, we have the power to decide our future.